Psalm 110, the priestly king, the psalm of David. This is the declaration of the Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, the dew of our, your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook by the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know these words to be true. You indeed are mighty and powerful over all things. And in truth, that is a, a terrifying consideration. Exactly what form of power and might you hold, but Lord, we know that you are good. You are merciful and you are kind to those who are fought with the blood of Christ. What wonderful gift it was to give of your Son that we would be children of a covenant, not of condemnation, but of reconciliation. Father, as Cameron comes forward to, to walk through this psalm, the words that you've given us, the songs that you've provided your own people, Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to hear whatever truth you have provided for us, Lord. And know that it's not the word of a man, but it's considering the word of the holy and true God. Let us be humble in this time to receive the fruit of your word. But Father, we do so with great expectation. For again, we know that where your word goes, it goes in power. And in this place, we make much of your name, and I pray that through the study of your word, we would come to leave this place with a joy and a zeal that would carry out into this world to tell of your might and of your majesty. Give Cameron the clarity and the boldness to speak, to expose it through this passage in such a way that you are given the ultimate glory, Lord. And we, your children, we await to hear you. Father, we love you. We bless you. I pray these songs have been cries of our hearts. They've been poured out before you in truth and the Spirit. And that in this place, your name has been lifted high over all others. And we will continue to do so in the study of your word. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. Um, 
As, as Kevin was praying, uh, something just came to my mind that I think is so sweet that I just wanted to share with you this morning. You help me move it. That'd be great. Good <laughs> um, I was talking to Kevin this morning before the service started. Um, and in, in, the, in his words, we are running a skeleton crew this morning, which means we are bare bones as far as our staff goes. I don't know if you've noticed that this morning, um, but all of our elders are not present this morning. Um, uh, we're the David and, and the prices are all gone. Um, even our office administrator is, is out this morning. Um, but the church continues to praise and worship God. Because the church is not simply about its leadership, but it's about its body. You are this church, and, and I'm so thankful that you're here with us this morning. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I, uh, there, are, there are lots of people to welcome this morning, our church body, but also on Tuesday night, David um, went and taught at the Baptist Collegiate Ministry on UTC's campus. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's a ministry that we as a church support. Um, we have a church member who's the campus missionary there. We have lots of students who have been involved or are currently involved with this ministry. And uh, uh, Jeffrey opened up an invitation to those students to say, hey, join us at church this Sunday. Um, and so there are lots of new young adult faces in the building. So church, as you have done with me, as you have done with so many, make sure you welcome them. Um, at, at my, my parents are also here this morning. My mom, my stepdad, my two brothers. Um, make sure to say hey. Uh, these are the people who have uh, really put in the work to, to help me to be who I am. And I'm super thankful for them and their presence this morning. Um, I have a story before we get started. I was actually planning to come up here wearing a Band-Aid over my eye. I don't know if you saw me earlier this morning because I was rocking that Band-Aid, but then a friend came in and said, why don't you put on some glasses because nobody can really tell if you're wearing glasses. I'm going to take them off. This is not the purpose of the glasses. Um, I don't know if you can see it from there. There's some red over my eye. Um, yesterday, I was playing soccer with some friends. By the way, this is the first time my mom has heard this story. Um, I was playing soccer with some friends yesterday, and I was wearing sunglasses while playing, which you'd think I'd think smarter, right? But I, I, the game wasn't as intense, like most of the game. Like, we were kind of just playing, like, and I, you know, you, you, you do your thing. You run hard and have some bumps, but I was never playing where I thought, oh, I need to take these sunglasses off, except for one point, I took, I, I literally, like, mid-play, took the glasses off to make a header, and, and I missed the header, but still, I, 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 in that moment, I thought, oh, I should probably take these glasses off, but then I put them right back on, because I didn't know where to put them, and so, towards the end of the game, we're getting real close to being done, and I'm playing defense. I don't know if you know anything about soccer, but that term should be self-explanatory. I'm in the back line. I'm, I'm keeping the ball away from the goal, and I decide that I'm going to play a little ambitious. We're playing like seven on seven, so there's not that many people on the field. And so um, their defender got the ball, but it was a weird volley. They had to control it, and they didn't control it as well as they could have, and so I saw an opportunity, and I bit. And I said, if I beat this defender, if I get the ball, then I'm going to get past them, and I have a one-on-one -on -one with the goalie. And so I... Um, I ran, and the idea was that the ball was going to hit me and then go this way, which it did hit me, and then it did go that way. It just hit me right here, which was not the plan. And so those sunglasses went right up into my eyebrow. So I am rocking a good scar, um, but don't worry. All my good looks are still there. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to address that, and I wanted to share that story for the first time up here in front of my mom so that she can't yell at me. Um, 
This morning we're in Psalm 110. Um, if you haven't already flipped there, uh, Karen did such a good job of reading that for us this morning. Go ahead and flip there. Um, psalm 110 is, is an awesome psalm that when I first read it, I have to be honest, I was like, okay, this is my fourth time preaching. I've been doing the psalms and this has been good. I'm I, I really feeling good about this, God. And I opened it and I read it and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Who is Melchizedek? Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of that name. I've heard of him before, right? And I've done a little bit of study on it prior. But I, I, the, the name Melchizedek comes up, and then I look down in the bottom left corner of my study Bible, and it says, Melchizedek is one of the most mysterious characters in all of the Bible. Are you kidding me? I got, I got that one? That's just my heart at first, and I, and I can recognize that that is not the best place to be. I praise the Lord that I get to stand in front of you this morning and share what he has shared with me. Um, but I'm excited, all of that to say, to get into Psalm 110. But before we do, I want to um, just, just give you a couple updates. So the prices, our, our, our head pastor um, and his family, they have been going off with Triple Cross Ministries this summer to love people who do not know Jesus. Um, on a consistent basis, week in and week out, they have been reaching some competitive jet ski racers, which, which at, at first I heard that and I was like, so you're going to go jet ski for the summer? Are you kidding me? And you're going to leave me to preach? But the truth is, we, I have gotten to see them in action and I've gotten to hear the stories that, that they ha have gotten to share with me over the relationships that they've made and the way that the Lord is working in the lives of the people who do not yet know him. And guys, it has been so encouraging. So this is their last weekend there. Um, this is their last Sunday being present with these racers for a while because this is the end of the season. So um, if you'll bow your heads with me for just a second, I want to pray over them for their last day. I want to pray over the Lord, uh, pray over those people that the Lord work in their lives. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as a church in support of, of our family, God, we pray over their ministry and the work that you have equipped them to do this summer. Lord, I, I thank you for all that they have been able to do and all that you have been able to reach, Father. And I just pray that today would be a day where, where they, they get to make some ground. Um, that, that people who do not yet know you can come to know you, can come to be open to having a relationship with you, for, Father. And I don't know what that looks like. But, Lord, we trust you with all that you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would keep them safe as they travel home um, and encourage them as they do the ministry you've called them to. Um, amen. Um, so so we, they, they will be back next week, and they will not be gone for a good minute, which we're excited about. Um, but this is also our last week in Psalms. This is our last week in our Summer Under the Psalms series um, that for, for this year. We will be back next summer. We have plenty of Psalms left. We've not even hit Psalm 119 yet, you guys. We'll be there for a minute. So um, you're, it's not gone forever, but it is gone for a time. Um, if you'll remember, uh, we were in 1 Thessalonians before our Summer Under the Psalms series, and coming out of Summer Under the Psalms, we will be in 2 Thessalonians. So we'll continue in that study as, as Paul wrote to the Church of Thessalonica. And um, I, I want to encourage you on David's behalf. He, he has said, hey, go in and encourage the church. Be praying about that. Be reading through what 2 Thessalonians has for our church. That's all of my announcements. Let's look at Psalm 110. Um, I'm going to read verse 1 for you. And it says this. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I think this is interesting for a number of reasons. God's talking to himself. 
The Lord says to my Lord, which by the way, David's Lord is God. And, and, and also David heard this conversation. How did that, how did that take place? So sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So God is saying to God, sit at my, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is what I read and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, this is very interesting. If we go back into the Hebrew, when it says, the Lord says to my Lord, those two lords are two different Hebrew words. Two different. Which, 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 which really gives us a, a look into what is going on here. The Lord, the Lord, that first one, is Yahweh. You've heard of Yahweh, maybe? This is God. This is the God of the Israelites. This is the God that has been present with Moses in the burning bush. This is the God that revealed himself to Moses on, 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 the, on the mount to, to give him the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? This is the God of the Old Testament that they know. Yahweh says to my Lord. This is David speaking. Both of these are capital letters, capital L's. Yahweh says to my Lord, David's Lord. And he uses the word Adonai in Hebrew, Adonai. And it means master. But as we read it, it means Messiah. It means Messiah. Yahweh says to Adonai, God says to the Messiah, David's king. Who's he talking about, church? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, the guy who doesn't come for a whole lot longer, right? David is talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Son of God. He's talking about somebody that he should have no context to know. And what I find so interesting is the only reason he has some kind of context is because he heard this conversation. The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I think it's so interesting that the Lord has blessed us with these little ingots, this little tidbit of conversation that God has with Jesus. He blesses us with this in, 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 a, in such a sweet nature. I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know it. Psalm 110 is the most referenced chapter of the Old Testament in the New Testament Bible, which I, I find so interesting as all that we have read so far um, is, is the Lord says to my Lord and then, and then some guy named Hezekiah or, or Melchizedek. Hezekiah is somewhere in here. Um, and and uh, I, I find that encouraging because people are coming back to this conversation that the Lord is having. The Lord lets us into this little window, and it shows us Jesus. I want to look to Matthew 22. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46 say this. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him the Lord? And then he quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So Jesus quotes David, says, hey, who's the Christ? Who is the Savior? Who's the Messiah? And, and, and the Pharisees go, oh, well, that's David's son. That's who he's talking about, my Lord, right? And, 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 and Jesus goes, well, how does that make sense? The word Adonai is speaking of someone of a higher ranking. This is someone higher than David. He's not talking about his son. He's talking about God's son. In his conversation, he says, sit at my right hand. What does that mean? Why, why, would, why would Jesus be sitting on the right hand of God? Are they not all ruling together? Well, in 1 Kings, we look at, at this position of, uh, of the right hand of the throne. Or the, the throne being the, the, the reigning place, the one where the king sits, the one who rules. The seated at the right hand of the throne is his position of honor. That we, that we dwell on in First Kings. It's this, it's this cultural thing that, that says Jesus will have the position of honor next to God. And it says, you sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Very interesting. If you, have, if you are a Bible scholar, you have heard this phrase many times because it has been said many times throughout Scripture, this concept of making your enemies your footstool or having your enemies be made your footstool. I just think it's interesting. The, the, the concept of a footstool, I, I don't think I have a footstool in any house that I have ever been in, right? At much le- like, like you think about what, where, where have you had a footstool? If any of you have a footstool, that's really cool, right? I'm not hating on that. But the, the concept of a footstool in our culture is, is one that we aren't super familiar with. But I think about a footstool like a chair for your feet, right? It's just something that, that you wreck rest your feet on. It's to give you comfort, right? Um, but but it, it's interesting because I think about a chair, and I think about the fact that the chair is doing something for me, right? It is submitting to me, and, it, and I'm sitting in it, right? If, if, if I were to put my feet on somebody, which is the concept here, right? To make someone else your footstool. If you were to put your feet on somebody, you're sub- they're, they're submitting to you, right? There, there is, there is no, uh, they are better than you if you're putting your feet on them. I don't think that's how this works. And I think this concept is very interesting. The Lord says to Jesus, Yahweh says to the Messiah, you will be honored at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. I gotta, I, I, if this is my introduction to Jesus, if this is the Jesus that I'm first being introduced to, I know nothing else about him, God is saying to Jesus, you have a position of honor and your enemies will be your footstool. My, my, my intrigue is, well, who, who is this guy? Who is this guy? He's going to be at the seat of the Father, like at, like at the right side of, of God, and he's going to have his enemies as his footstool. Who is this dude? Why does he deserve this honor? Let's move on to verse 3. Or verse 2. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. 
rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. It says, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Your translation of the Bible may have something different in it. The, uh, uh, a mighty rod of, of some kind. From Zion, though, I think this is specific. This is, this is sharing with us a couple really neat things, I think. This is telling us more about Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, and this is what you're hearing about him, he is in a position of honor. He is getting all honor. His enemies bow down to him, and he will rule. He will rule over not just Israel, from Zion to Israel over all the earth. His scepter when you think about a scepter, you think about a rod, you think about a king, right? Maybe they would have like this, this scepter, this, 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 I don't know, this rod is the only other word I can think of at the moment. It, it, is, it is a weapon of power. It's, a, it's also a very elegant weapon, right? It's not, it's not some sword with a blade that's real sharp, right, which can also be very elegant, but a scepter speaks to his power, speaks to his rule. Now, now scholars actually don't, fully understand what this means, but speculation leads me to, to sharing with you what, 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 I, what I think makes sense. This idea of the scepter is, in, in, in the New Testament, we are, we are shown that the gospel is like a two-edged sword. Have you heard this? Or, or, or that, that the Bible is, is, our, is our sword in, in uh, the, the armor of God, right, that we're called to put on, which our, our kids have been talking about on Sunday mornings. This concept of this weapon is one that we have been provided with, but, but one that I see in Jesus' hands right now. The scepter from Zion. I believe that, that this is in reference to the gospel, and what is Jesus using to rule over his people? What is Jesus' weapon? It is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus will rule over all the earth from end to end. And then it says in verse 3, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Your people will offer themselves freely. I find that interesting. You think about any other king, any other ruler, especially in this time, there are lots of battles. There are lots of wars. There's lots of fighting. Kings, kings earn a position of power. Does that make sense? Like, like there, there are no kings in the Old Testament time who were just given stuff and then didn't do anything for it or about it, and they're, they're just king, right? Kings, kings have this position of power, and they earn it. You think about today, people who rule over us. Right? Your boss at work didn't just become the boss at work, right? He earned this position. Think about our, our, our government, our president was elected. People, people offer themselves freely to Jesus. I like that word freely. And by the way, I don't know if you've caught on to this yet, but people will offer themselves freely to this Jesus, that Jesus' people is me and you. If you know Jesus,
your people will offer themselves freely. I think for me, as I consider my relationship with Jesus, I think it's pretty free. I don't know about you. I mean, think about that a little bit, but I feel pretty free as I come to Jesus. And I will freely serve. Romans 12, 1 says, For I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, to present bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, yours, which is your spiritual worship. Present our bodies as living sacrifices. And he uses that word holy. I see that word holy in here, too. It says, In holy garments, as holy, we offer ourselves to Jesus, made free. Made free. And then it says, From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. In the day of your power. In Hebrew, the word power is actually army. It, it means army. In the day of your army. So, so we're looking at a Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the throne, who is made holy, who deserves all the honor, who uh, ha- rules over his enemies, and who has an army of people who volunteer to be in this army. Who volunteer freely, willingly, to work for him. And then it goes on to describe from the from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Still talking about his people. Your people. And he uses that word youth. I don't know, everybody in this room probably doesn't feel like youth, but it's talking about you. That word youth. We think about the word youth, it, 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 young, right? For, for somebody to be young. Um, and, and we're not all young in this room. I'm, I'm one of the youngest in this room, I, I think. And I'm, I, I, I think that's something to be proud of, your, your age. The Lord has provided you with the years that you have and what a gift, but you don't feel young all the time, I'm sure. So I, I, I read this, and I don't think that he's talking about our physical age. I think he's talking about our spiritual age. Think about that with me for a second. When you come to know Jesus, you and I, we are made new. Sound familiar? Uh, like like we, we are, are washed clean of our sins. Anything that, that we were wearing on our, on our chest is no longer there. Any, any sin that we were bearing is, is no longer upon us. And in Jesus' sacrifice, we are made new. We are his We are made his youth, and we are like the dew of the morning. Friends, your your physical age, this is not not what David is talking about. He's saying that Jesus' people are young, and they are ready, and they are capable. You are capable, church. I just want you to know this is the only time that we're talking about you this morning. And I want you to, to just tune in for just a second and hear me say that you are of the Lord's army and you are of his youth. The Lord has made you new to be his. And in that we freely give ourselves to him as a living sacrifice made holy and acceptable to God. And this is how we worship. 
Then we move on to the end of verse 4. It says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, who is Melchizedek? This is where we get into the fun part. Now, I, I believe there is a full sermon at least over this guy, even though he is mentioned so few times. Um, Melchizedek is first name dropped in Genesis chapter 14 for four verses. And then every once in a while, somebody will reference him until we get to Hebrews. Yeah, that book in the New Testament where the author of Hebrews kind of lays out who Melchizedek is. Now, Melchizedek, while he has the hardest name to say, I believe is one of the sweetest, most special people that we see in the Old Testament for a short few verses. Now, here's the story. Abraham just got done with a battle. Uh, he, he's, he, he has fought a hard war, and this king of Salem named Melchizedek meets him. Now, Melchizedek um, worships God. While, while Abraham worshiped God, he was one of few, but he was not the only. And so it was normal. It was appropriate for, for somebody like Melchizedek of a different kingdom to come and, and also worship the same God. And let me tell you what was abnormal. It is described in Genesis chapter 14 that Melchizedek is not just king of Salem, but he is priest. He is the high priest of Salem as well. These two jobs did not overlap. People did not have both. To be the king and the high priest does not make sense. But we see, we see Melchizedek in, in, in these four verses, and what he does is he blesses Abram. He just got done saving Lot. He, he just got done fighting the battle. And this man comes... Some guy we've never heard of, and blesses him. High king and high priest. Um, flip with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation to his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So we learn there, it is not just that Melchizedek blesses Abram, but then Abraham comes around and he, and he gives him 10%. He tithes. He gives this Melchizedek 10%. Now, there, there are a couple interesting things, and, and biblical scholars do have some differing opinions on, on exactly what is going on. But I'm going to tell you what I have come to find. Some people think that Melchizedek is like a, a Jesus pre-incarnate. That just existed in this one thing. Um, some, it, it's called like a Christendom or something like that. I, it was a really long word that I read, but I couldn't really figure out how to say, so I didn't write it in my notes, and here I am saying it anyways. Um, but the, the, some people think that, that Jesus comes from the line of Melchizedek. It, it says in Psalm 110, you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
Some people don't pay any attention to this and think it's a, it's a throwaway thing where God is just reaching Abraham where he is and, and, and trying to kill for him. But I, I think what, what I find most interesting about this is Abraham goes and tithes to Melchizedek. So I want to clear this up. Psalm 110 says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. After the order of Melchizedek. So, so here, here is what's going on. This Melchizedek, he is high priest, high king. He's this guy that, that, that nobody really knows much about. He comes in, he does this thing, blesses Abraham, and then leaves. After Abraham recognizes him for who he is and tithes. Then, after Jesus' time, people come and say, Oh, Jesus was from this line. Jesus, we, we saw Jesus real, real early, real quickly in Genesis. Now, this king, this high priest is absolutely looking forward to Jesus, but I don't believe that this is Jesus pre-incarnate. I want to I give that to you. And I would encourage you to do your own study over this, but as I have studied, I, I, I truly believe that, that this this. Melchizedek is high priest and high king, and he's the only one for a reason. He's the only one for a reason. We don't see Jesus at all in the Old Testament, right? I think that makes sense. We, we talk about him every once in a while as we see today. We don't even know about it. They don't even know about it yet, and they're talking about him. But what we do see is an example of who Jesus is going to be in Melchizedek. This is the role that Melchizedek plays. From the order of Melchizedek, Jesus is king, and he is high priest. That's Jesus. As I was reading today, this morning, really, sometimes the Lord just gives me stuff right before I walk up here. As I was reading, I was left to consider who... Who is Jesus? Like, who do I consider Jesus to be? Because I see Jesus as Savior, church. I don't often enough think of him as king. I don't often enough think of him as high priest. You know, the, the, Jesus offers us a relationship. And, and in our relationship with Jesus, in our proclamation of our belief... He saves us, and then we get to continue in this relationship with Jesus, and everybody in this room understands what a relationship is. If you're in a relationship some, with somebody, you, you know them, or you're getting to know them, and I don't care how long you have known somebody, there is typically more to know. My parents even sometimes tell stories where the other one goes, really? I don't know that I've heard that. Right? My grandparents do that. Things happen in, in our lives as, as we come to know people, we, we come to know them better. We come to learn more about them. And what I have for you today, church family, is that this Jesus is not a one descriptor God. If, from your perspective of Jesus, you can use one adjective or two or even three, you don't know him well enough. And hey, church, I don't know him well enough either. 
This is a part of our walk in salvation, coming to know Jesus. But who is this Jesus, and why do you worship him? Do you worship him because of what he's done for you? Do you worship him because of what he's done for you alone? Is more my question. I think there's a lot for us to know about Jesus. There's a lot. This is no small order. If you ask me who is Jesus, I can tell you a great deal, but I cannot tell you the whole thing. Church, I want to ask you, who do you see Jesus is? I'll tell you who David sees him as. David sees him as king. He sees him as high priest. He sees him as honored. He sees him as ruler. Who do you see Jesus to be? Now, I want to be clear. Jesus is more than your perception of him. Unless your perception of him is, oh, he is way more than I can think of, then, yeah, you've, you've nailed it on the head. But Jesus is way more than what we can see. I mean, when I think of Jesus, I think about the fact that Jesus is, Jesus is the one who meets Zacchaeus when no one else would. Jesus is the one who miraculously saves, heals, feeds his people. Jesus is the one who answered the Pharisees. Jesus is the one who fulfills the prophecies. Jesus is the one who showed compassion, who showed patience for Peter. Who do you think of Jesus as? Jesus is the vine. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. Jesus is Christ. He is Lord. He is Master. He is the Word. He is Son of God. He is Son of Man. He is the perfect Lamb. He's the ruler over all. He is the King of Kings. He is Lord Almighty. He is High Priest. He is Teacher. As I heard Jeff sing in uh, kids' worship this morning, he is the perfect prophet. He is our mediator, he is our rock, he is our branch, he is our safe place. He is called Messiah, Adonai, Lord, the one true God. He is faithful, church. He is holy, he is worthy, he is loving, he is true. He is honest, he is powerful, he is everlasting, marvelous, merciful, reverent. Our Jesus is sincere. He is infallible, omniscient, and omnipotent. He is peaceful. He is abundant, compassionate. He is zealous. He is perfect. And he is victorious. That's what the end of Psalm 110 tells us. Those last few verses. He is victorious. He is more than we could ever ask for. He's more than we deserve. He is our friend. And church family, you and I do not yet know him well enough. 
one of the reasons I, I struggled with this psalm, I think, was I, there's no takeaway, really. David isn't looking at us and going, hey, this is what you should do. This is, this is how you should live. This is who you should be. This is strictly about Jesus, and praise God for that. That is enough. But I love to walk away with something. My something for you this morning is how do you know Jesus? How do you know Jesus? I want you to think about that for a minute. We're going to pray about it in just a second. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. It says this, Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have enough, have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are all being transformed into something. We are all growing. We're all being molded to be something. And this Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, whose enemies are his footstool, he has that for us. Church, I want to encourage you this morning in your relationship with Jesus. How do you know him? And will you continue to pursue him? There is no greater relationship for you to have. There is no one more important than the God who saves I'll tell you what I've been telling my students all semester this semester and what I will continue to. We're doing this series on identity. Who who am I? My answer for that question is, I can know who I am and who I am meant to be as I come to know Jesus. Because we are made in the Lord's image and he is making us to be more like him Paul looks at at this concept in 2 Corinthians that is, we should be longing to see Jesus' face. To see somebody's face is to, to know more about them, right? We should be longing to know more of who Jesus is.
We should be longing to see his face and have his glory revealed to us, church. I want to encourage you, get to know him better. I, I know that some of you know Jesus well, and I know that some of you don't know him at all. It doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum. Paul says, we're all growing to behold the glory of the Lord. Church, know him better. Know him better. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this room this morning and the gift that it has been to be present with you here today. Father, I, I pray for the people in this room, for the people who have joined us online. I pray for your, for your people, for your army, God. I pray for their relationship with you. Lord, I don't know where everybody in this room is at. I don't know where their hearts are. I don't know how they know you or if they know you. But Lord, please reveal yourself to them in ways that you have not yet. God, would you remind them of who you are? And Lord, would you make this prayer a prayer that they have on their hearts consistently, Father? Jesus, show me who you are. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, help me to know you better. Because you are better than anything, anyone. Lord, help us to place you at the right hand of the throne in that position of honor. Because you deserve all honor all glory, all worship, and all praise. Jesus, we love you. And one thing that I know about you, God, is that you love me. But Lord, would you reveal yourself to us further? Would you make yourself known? Would you reveal your face Would you help us to know you better, God? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.